Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we pray as we come to the conclusion of this book, Lord, that the fullness of this message will land on our hearts. Spirit, would you help us, enable us to put on each piece of this armor? And where lacking, would you convict our hearts to to seek and pursue you so that we may not be knocked off from following you and walking with you? In Jesus' name, amen. It is safe to assume that all of you have been to a wedding before. It's probably safe to assume that some of you have been to many, many weddings before. Um, And there's always this key moment that we love during a good wedding when the the bridal party, they're upstage, uh, the groom is standing there, all the pieces are set, and then the music changes. And the doors open up at the back of the room. And then finally... Everyone stands for, here comes the bride. And she's walking. And everybody is gazing on and watching her. All attention is on the bride as she walks. And she walks and she walks. And then finally she comes to a key moment where she just stands. And if you will, what a great little metaphor for the book of Ephesians where we've been called as Christians to walk as the bride of Christ, to walk and walk and walk a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called in Christ Jesus. And as you walk, we come to this last section here where we're going to be called just to stand. And as it were, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 3, all the cosmic powers and rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are looking on, looking at the bride of Christ so that they can see the manifold wisdom of God. And if you allow me to mix the metaphors just a little bit here, as I've been watching weddings happen, and as I see brides walking down, they're always wearing what? This white. And sometimes it's an off-color white or cream, but it's always elegant, and they're always looking beautiful. And they walk and they walk. I've never been to a wedding where the bride was wearing armor. Have you? Never. Could you picture it? In your mind, could you picture somebody marching down to, to, to Mary? Clank, clank, clank. But if you kind of sweep in the whole book of Ephesians, is that not the picture to walk and then finally to stand with this armor on? Here, the picture might be odd, but it is the balance we must maintain because the picture is the church is the, the mystery of God revealed to us, the manifold wisdom that God would bring together both Jews and Gentiles into one people group. Many, many diverse people from many backgrounds from all over the place brought together as one people of God. And because this is true, the church functions a bit like a hospital in which many people are coming in wounded, hurt, suffering, in pain, struggling 
And the church functions as a place where they come to gather, to be restored, to to have vitality of the gospel infused in their life. And if this is true, at the same time, not only is the church a hospital, but what this passage will help us see, it's also a boot camp. Church, friends, is a training ground. It's a place where we come to see an army base of people being fitted with this armor so that they can withstand the attacks that are coming against us. Because the language mentioned in this passage is warfare language, and therefore the attire that we are to put on is warfare-based attire. See, we are a church at war. I don't know how many of you are aware of it when you woke up this morning, but there was a war going on. The enemy I hope you hear this. The enemy was at work in many ways just this morning, trying to keep you from coming here. Trying to keep you various means to either keep you from coming to church or if you come to church to ruin it for you. You see, you may be very comfortable right now, but there is a war that is being waged because Satan, the accuser, the devil, the serpent, and the liar all do not, they do not want you to hear this message this morning. There was a war, even keeping me from coming here this morning. Tim has told this joke, I think, numerous times, and it's so fitting, it's true, where this man woke up on a Sunday morning and he says, I don't think I want to go to church this morning. And his wife says, "Hun, I think you should go. I think we should go. He says, no, I really don't want to go to church this morning. She says, you need to go. He says, no, I, 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 that's it. I'm not going. She says, you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> and it's true. This is the church at war. And within a book that has told us to put off the old self, to put on the new self, we will see exactly what these clothes look like, this attire, this armor. And we'll look at it first in three, and in, in, we'll see this in three sections. The need to be strong, verse 10. The reason why, Verse 11, verses 11 through 13, and then the means for standing firm, verses 14 through 20, and we'll close out through 24. So first, the need to be strong in the Lord, and I'm going to reread verse 10 to bring this to mind to you. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In light of the gospel that has been revealed to us in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and having fleshed out the implications for this in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul calls the Christians to be strong. You need strength. I need strength. But notice the strength that you need is not in you. Be strong. Take heart. Dig deep. You can do it. You're a warrior. That's not the message that Paul is telling you here. It is a strength that has, as it were, its headwaters are the Lord himself. The strength that you need is coming not inside yourself. It's coming from the Lord. If you could picture a tree that is standing very tall and very bold and, and the wind blows and it doesn't blow over and the fire comes and its bark is thick and it won't be burned down. You go, well, what's going on here? Well, you dig at its roots and you dig and you dig and you find out these roots are what's strengthening this tree. For us to stand, we find and we dig and we see the roots. It's not you. It's the Lord who's strengthening you to stand firm. And the truth is that this was written in the passive. So that the way the Christian standard Bible has it right, it reads it this way. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. 
It implies that as we seek these things, as you and I were, I, I want the helmet of salvation. I want the belt of truth. Ultimately, we find that it is the Lord that is at work in us, building up his bride. Why would we need to be built up? Well, we look here at verse 11 and we begin to see the reason why. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may, able, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I have had in numerous places and times, I'll take a sticky note and I write on it, expect opposition. And I put it on my computer or on my desk or other places in the home. Why? Because it reminds me there's an enemy that would love to take me out to see me fail. Wanting me to just throw in the towel or even just ignore the fact that there's a battle at all. You see, life is challenging. And to fulfill all that Paul is calling us to in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, that would be challenging enough. But the walk that you and I are called to, as we walk down that way, shots are being fired. Uh, You are walking, as it were, through a war zone. And, And yeah, the bullets this moment may not be real, but they are spiritually being fired at you. So that Paul will then say, for you and I, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. I think one of the difficulties when we come to a passage like this, tackling a text like this, is the sheer lack of belief in a spiritual world. Do you sense this even within yourself, Christian? Just kind of like going through life, going through the motions, and downplaying in your mind the spiritual realm. I think there are some even who would scoff at the idea, saying, has not science shown that the spiritual realm is just in our heads? Isn't it a fool's errand to go looking for what doesn't really exist? I mean, sure, the Bible has some good advice. The Bible is helping us live uh, more controlled lives. It gives us some inspiration. It gives us some heartwarming stories. But the spiritual realm? Thomas, you've got to be kidding. This is 2023. This isn't 1023. We're not in the, the dark ages. Well, I would respond to you to consider something. Have you had conversations with foreigners who come from Africa or South America or Asia, who in certain parts have had dramatically real encounters with the spiritual realm that they couldn't just cast off to just molecules and matter in motion. They said, no, these things are real and true. And some of them, I think, increasingly on social media are being able to share some of these stories and awaken those of us who have been asleep to this to say there is actually real spiritual war going on. I think what is true, though, for most of us, the saying that is very true is, what if the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world, or at least the Western world, that he didn't exist? I think one of the ways that the battle wages on is just convincing us there is no spiritual realm. But science, which is great, is helpful and and wonderful. Science is a gift from God, but it wasn't given to us to answer the kinds of questions such as, is there a spiritual realm? That's not the purpose of science. Expecting science to answer these kinds of questions would be like a drunk man who's lost his keys out in the parking lot. In the middle of the night, 
He stands under the lamp and he says, my keys can only be where the, where the street light is illuminating here. And so he's looking in this spot, not recognizing there's plenty of places in the parking lot where he's lost his keys where it's completely dark and he won't see them. Science is not meant to answer that question. It's outside of that. God must intervene into your life to reveal to you the war that is going on. To this end, Paul is helping us see our battle at the end of the day is not naturally based. It is spiritually based. Yet for some reason, we tend to drift towards thinking it's naturally based. For example, church, just let me say this. If you want to get me throthing at the mouth and tempt me into sin, all you need to do is just start talking about politics with me. Just start talking about Washington, D.C., right? Or even Salem here. I am one man, and I have seven opinions on the matter, and I'll be happy to tell you all of them. And, you know, I would like to drag some of these folks out of Salem and put in children and monkeys in their positions and watch a better job be performed. (laughs) They'd probably be more honest, too. But, friends, do you see that if I succumb to that, I'm really, in some sense, fighting the wrong war? I'm on the wrong battlefield. Should we vote? Absolutely. Should we discuss politics? Ah, sure. But at the end of the day, those who wear business suits and receive big money from corporations and governments and other interests for their campaigns, they are just simply pawns. If this text is understood right, you need to understand that they are puppets that owe allegiance to those who are going to pay the biggest amount to them. And thank you, Lord, not all of them, but many of them, are in line with the powers and the principalities of the air, whether they know it or not. Because you see, behind the war that we see in front of our eyes is the real war. It's a spiritual war. A war in which Paul says in no uncertain terms involves the dragon and his demons, the devil and his minions. Our book basically opens up with this. Recall, who was it who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis? It was the serpent who comes slithering up to tempt them. What about Jesus in Matthew 4, where the devil came to tempt Satan, or sorry, the devil came to tempt Christ three times, didn't he? And then he can lead evil spirits to possess people and drive them mad. That's what we saw in Mark chapter 5. It's the same devil who accused uh, Job before God in Job chapter 1 where he said he only worships you for what he gets. Friends, he can lead people away from the gospel even this morning trying to snatch away the truth before it can sink deep into your heart. Matthew 13, thinking of the parable of the sower of seeds. He can enter into a man and lead him even to partake in the killing of the son of God as, as what happened with Judah, uh, Judas in Luke 22. He can disguise himself as an angel of light, even sending other workers who come appearing as people of righteousness, but inwardly are workers of evil. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. No, make no mistake about it. He is hard at work and he would love to see you come to ruin. He would love to see me and this church come to ruin. He is at work trying to do this even now. And so friend, if you are with us, and you've lived many years thinking there's no such thing as good and evil, or you have been tempted to despair thinking there's just no hope, do you not see that Satan, that you say 
probably doesn't even exist. And he's been at very hard at work trying to convince you of that fact. Friend, the Bible calls him a liar. Jesus said this about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The logic and the flow are so clear. Walk in a manner worthy in which you've been called in Christ Jesus, but also stand firm in the strength, not of your own, but of the Lord. Why? Because we have an active enemy who is seeking to devour us. And so we defend ourselves with this armor that has been given. And as we defend ourselves, we see that it is all done, not in our own strength, but nor our own resources, but in the strength of the Lord. It is a spiritual war that will require spiritual defenses and weapons. So what are those weapons? What are those means? What are the defenses? Now we turn to look at the means for standing firm in verses 14 through 20. I'd like to read these to you now. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In my desire this morning to summarize what Paul is telling us, I would say it like this. Be strong in the Lord by being totally and completely Christian. And I think this happens as we take on all these pieces of armor. To be strong in the Lord by being totally and completely Christian. My goal, you know, when children are given the Ephesians 6 coloring page in kids ministry, it's got a like a a guy in Roman armor and they're told, okay, kids color this in. And so they color in each little piece. Well, I'm going to briefly try to color in each of these pieces for you. Hopefully this will just reaffirm your understanding, but it also may correct some of your understanding on these pieces of armor. So here again, we have the third time that we've been called to stand firm. Why stand Well, the imagery is because the evil forces would love us to back down. And so the very first piece of this armor that we come across is the belt of truth. The the need for truth is at the very heart of this battle. Again, because the devil is a liar. So to be completely a Christian is the one who's there to know the truth. The truth, everything from like, why were we created? Uh, What's the plan for us? Where do we go when we die? How do I deal with my sin struggles here and now? What is my mission? What am I called to do in my community or my workplace or my family? These are all truths that we must seek. And the Bible is not leaving us, you know, absent with any of these. Don't forget that Paul was speaking to Christians. Uh, They weren't Christians for the very first time. These Ephesians that he writes to, he spent significant time with them and he would have already spoken the gospel in various angles and ways to them. 
And so when he comes here telling them the gospel uh, it, through this armor, this truth that they needed to hear was something that was reminding them, look, this isn't like for the very first time. This is so that you will all become little preachers. One of the things I would love for our church is for each of you Christians, you members here, to view yourself like many preachers whose job it is each day is to preach to oneself the truth. Um, are you anxious? Are you depressed? Are you tired? Are you tempted? Are you irritable? Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you apathetic? Are you proud? Have I left anyone out here? Then the truth will set you free. So in God's design, we are commanded to sing to one another. This helps us remember God's truth. When we gather together in discipleship groups, together in small groups, what are we doing? We're hammering home the truth into our hearts. We're preaching to ourselves. What are we doing when we gather together in men's and women's Bible studies? We're spending time nailing down what is true, what is false. And as we do this, we're then trying to do it in such a manner. We wake up on Monday morning or on Tuesday morning, and I'm reminding myself actively, I'm preaching to myself and you, little preachers, preaching to yourself the truth so that you can combat and wage war against the devil's lies. The truth we see here is also in connection with what we understand regarding our righteousness. And so now I look at the breastplate of righteousness. The declaration of the fact that we are now right with the Lord is our initial righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. So the, breast, the breastplate of righteousness should not be reduced to simply you telling yourself, I'm going to be righteous today. I'm going to do the right thing today. We need to do that. We need to do the right thing. We need to be righteous in our works and our efforts, but it's all based and founded upon the fact that we've been declared righteous in Christ. Uh, you see, there's nothing I can do apart from Christ that would make me right in standing before God. Isaiah makes it clear that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Paul makes it clear that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so then by putting on the clothing of Christ, we are made righteous. And now we are enabled to walk by the spirit in righteousness so that we are imitating the righteousness of our savior, walking as he would walk, mirroring as it were his steps, which brings us to the shoes. Shoes, verse 15, where Paul says, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now here, there's a little bit of a debate. Is it the sense that the gospel has given us a peace that now, you know, enables us to be, go out there and be peaceful? Maybe some sense like that. Or is it that the gospel of peace now enables us to go out more in a proclamation sense? And be, being that many of your Bibles may have a cross-reference here on this, referencing Isaiah 52, if you go back there, the context is clear. It's proclamation. So this is evangelism. This is us speaking the truth that we've heard about, about the righteousness that comes from Christ, that now we walk in. This is proclamation that we proclaim uh, because we have this gospel of peace, this good news of peace, our feet are now ready to go to share we are on the offensive, as it were. So we share that peace with our hurting neighbors and our friends. Even this last Wednesday, 
A gal I ran into, she was starting to share some of her stories. I recognized, wow, she is hurting. And so I just began to say, I want you to know this peace that I have from Jesus. I want you to know that apart from him, I have nothing. And you could just see that truth settling in on her. We are those who are ready to just, I want you to know that I want, I'm standing on a pot of gold and I want you to have some of this gold too. Why wouldn't I want it? There's more than enough to go around. Like, I'm happy to freely share the good news of this grace that I have in Christ, and it can be yours too. And I'm ready to share that. And I want us, church, to be in that mindset. I'm not always there, but ready to to share the good news of what we have. And then Paul, in verse 16, he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, you and I, when we think of shields, I think mainly from our childhood or from Marvel comics or whatever, we just think of like a little round disc. So you got your big sword, but your round disc. But in Paul's day, the Roman armor, this was a shield that covered all of you. It was a full length wooden shield with metal trimming around it. Often, you know, cross-braced and everything that would, you know, if an arrow hit it, it would, it, oftentimes they would take the shields, they would dip them in water, so then go out in the battlefield and the flaming arrow would hit it and it would just kind of extinguish it. It's, it's interesting. But here, it's very fitting to see that one of the key verses of this entire book is in connection with our faith. How is it that I am saved? Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this all comes about by faith. In the plan of redemption of Christ, when the enemy shoots a flaming arrow at you saying, you're mine, God would never accept someone like you. Or, yes, you you really are good enough on your own. You don't really need this Jesus. Well then, friends, by faith, you have the power to ascend the hill. Faith comes in and says, homie, don't think so. Faith comes in and says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves, in ourselves than we ever dared believe. But at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope. We remind ourselves of this truth that we believe. And then we also put on the helmet of salvation. Now, on one hand, this command to put on the helmet was written to those who are already saved. Isn't this strange? Paul saying, put on the helmet of salvation to the Ephesians who are already saved. <coughs> And so then in what sense do we put this on? Well, here by faith, again, we come to see the identity we have of being saved and we actively now re-preach this to ourselves regularly. There is a reason warfare culture is bound up with those who uh, want to share their history and remind themselves of their identity. Even my wife and I, we were recently watching the show with the uh, uh, Indian culture in New Zealand and they rehearse their identity. They're constantly reminding themselves of the battles that they fought and the battles that they won, the victories that they've had. They're reminding themselves of who they are. And I think it is in that sense that Paul is saying, Christian, remind yourself by when you put on the helmet of salvation, you are walking through and reminding yourself, I've got, I don't need to prove myself to anyone because I am approved by God because of what Christ has done for me. 
I don't need to seek security anywhere else because I'm secure and anchored in Christ no matter amount of money in the bank account, no matter what I've done to try and build up and amass protection, he will protect me. I, I, I do not need to do any sort of work here within the church body that then will make God sort of tip the scales and say, you're okay. No, it won't work that way. You'll never do good enough to overcome your bad. It is all of Christ. And so we remind ourselves of this. This is putting on the helmet of salvation so that I can say I'm hidden in Christ. He has saved me. Cancer cannot truly kill me. Governmental legislature will not sway me. Depression will not have the last word over my life. The sin that once brought death will die, and eventually there will be the death of death because of what Christ Jesus did, proving on the cross that he was victorious over death. One thing I hope for my ministry here at this church And if God should grant me another decade or two decades here, praise God. But I just hope that you all walk away understanding that salvation is not for you just entering into Christendom. Salvation and the gospel is for you every morning you wake up and throughout every challenge of your day. I just hope that we have Christians who constantly are preaching to themselves as little preachers the gospel good news. And this brings us then to the sword of the spirit. This is a sword. It cuts. And I I couldn't, of course, help think of what I think many of you might think of when you think of the sword of the spirit that cuts uh, a passage like Hebrews chapter four may come to mind. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the tensions of the heart. Wow, God's word is able to do something that no other thing can do. Jesus employed the word this way when he dealt Tremendous blows with the word against Satan. Remember, Satan was tempting him in the wilderness. Tempted him three times, and Jesus, knowing the battle is not a fleshly battle, but a spiritual one, used the word to do the work by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, the word incarnate, he is the sword, as it were, with skin and clothes on. So that God speaks good news to us through Christ. Even the most important words from the cross. When Jesus had delivered this final blow that had to be delivered to Satan. When he said, it is finished. The payment for sin was accomplished. We are now those who having received Christ's Holy Spirit can be arrayed, decked out in full armor. Because of what he did on the cross. But this night... Here, as we consider the church, this bride who was walking down the aisle, now called to stand, she's not one who just stands. We see as we close out this section here, she kneels, she prays. Look at verses 18 through 20, where Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, all Christian prayers are prayers in the Spirit. These prayers that we pray as Christians stand in opposition to the pagans' prayers, which are not in the Spirit. They are, in essence, just words being babbled into the air, going nowhere. Their gods do not exist, and they won't hear them, and they won't rescue them. 
And so it is the Christian who prays in this way. And Paul stacks all with this. He, he says all four times because he's saying pray at all times with all prayers and supplications. Supplications is a big word. It simply means praying with earnestness. And then with all perseverance so that the Christians who pray continuously pray, we keep on praying. We're not giving up. And we're also praying for all the saints, meaning we're praying for the entire church body. And so just as an encouragement, a reminder to you, there are two times for you to pray. Uh, You are to pray when things are going horribly, awfully wrong. When everything's just a mess in your life, you pray. And when everything's going amazingly, really great and well, you pray. Those are the two times to pray. And so in that sense, we are always praying. And while it is true that God is not a genie in the lamp, you don't just pick up the lamp and rub it three times or rub it and then get your three wishes. And now God's obligated somehow to grant you your wishes. That's not how this works. No, one little read through though, through the persistent widow in Luke, it becomes clear, very clear that certain things won't happen if we don't pray. So to that end, we do pray in line with his heart and we are persistent in this recognizing that when we pray, he can and will answer those prayers. So Christian, stand. Stand firm with the full armor, strong in the Lord, being totally and completely Christian. And I hope you see that this was all gospel language. This book opened with the good news in chapter 1, and here it closes with a picture of a Christian who puts on each piece of this is in connection with the good news. So that this spiritual battle, we can stand, we stand because it is a war in which you and I stand so that we can live. Uh, To quote William Wallace, he says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And here the picture is of of a warrior in Christ standing strong because of the strength of Christ who will live. I hope you don't miss the ways that this war wages on. I think one of you says, I'd like to gather together with my neighbor for coffee or for tea. That's war. I think you inviting a fellow member over here for meal uh, after service, perhaps. Or, you know, if you're working on your speech to honor the Lord in the workplace. Or when a husband says, I've been praying and I think we should start a weekly night of a prayer with my family. Or when you're at work and your boss is asking you to do another thing that you might just think is pointless. But you recall, I'm going to work as I'm working unto Christ. It is war. And if you desire to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, we will fulfill this and we will do this as we make sure we have this full armor on. And friends, God didn't just give us this armor. This armor is what he wore. It's very clear there in Isaiah 59. That, that chapter in Isaiah 59 begins with the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And then it goes through and it mentions these pieces of armor and it says the Lord put these on. So the armor that we've been given is the same armor that God himself wears. The breastplate of righteousness it mentions, the helmet of salvation. And feet that are fitted with the readiness. So here, as I'm closing out this book that has had several touching points of helping us see the cosmic battle, to see the cosmic perspective, 
Even this morning, recognizing that the walk we walk is a spiritual battle. This is not a battle against the flesh. Uh, to think that we just need bigger swords or we might need to bring in the tanks to fight this battle, it misses it. Calvin writes saying this, that the difficulties are far greater than if we had to fight against men. I thought this was interesting. He says, the, the difficulties that we fight, it's not just man fighting man with, with tools and weapons that we have. He says, where we resist in human strength like sword opposed to sword or man contends with man, force met by force, and skill met by skill. But here, the case is different. For our enemies are such as no human power can withstand. I think if you understand what Calvin's saying, he's saying, do you understand that if it was just you facing these forces, game over. You would lose. You will lose. But the moment you're tapping in to those roots that give you the strength to stand firm against the winds, against the fire, against the battle and the war, is the moment that you will truly stand. And because we will walk a walk of faith and we walk in by faith in the strong one. We see as our, we'll close out this morning, this song by faith. It taps into the, the two major themes of this book, uh, walking and standing. Cause the, the song sings, we will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward till the race is finished and the work is done. We walk by faith and not by sight. I'd like the last words as I close out this book to be the words of Paul in this letter where Paul, we see again, he's in chains. This doesn't stop him. He writes through his friend and companion Tychicus to the church at Ephesus. And even as he's writing, he's not asking to be released from those chains. He's just wanting the battle to be won in Christ through those chains. Look at as I close verse 21 through 24. So that you also may know how I am doing, how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that there are some in this room who are just really not in this fight. And at times, Father, in all honesty, I find myself in that position. Ignoring that the war wages on. Being tempted to believe just another show or another thing of entertainment will pacify the time and not letting me recognize that there is a, a war to, to fight in your strength. And so we grant and or pray that you would grant us the strength to fight this war well, that we would honor you and that, Lord, that the rulers and authorities would look upon even our small church, our local church here, and see the manifold wisdom of God at work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.